Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. My name is Andrew. This is uh, Pastor Jesse, and uh, we are so thrilled to be bringing you the word today. Pastor Ryan and Stephanie are in Kenora, Ontario, on vacation, enjoying some time off. So if you happen to uh, bring some Tupperware to church that you were going to return to Ryan and Stephanie, you're going to have to hang on to it until next week when they're back. I don't know why Ryan always likes to borrow out his Tupperware. I think just so he can stay in touch with people. So We're in the middle of a series... Um, called The Unstoppable Church. Pastor Ryan shared a message on the gathering and, and, and meeting in the temple as the early church did. And uh, in preparation for this this week, when uh, Ryan asked Jesse and I to, to preach, I was uh, reminded of the, the work that Pastor Ryan and Stephanie do day in and day out for our church as they lead us. And I just, I think that they're just the most coolest people, and I'm just so thankful that we have them leading our church. Is anyone else thankful for Pastor Ryan and Stephanie that we get to call them our pastors? I'll tell you, there's some awesome people, sweet, sweethearts. So, all right, so the early church, unstoppable. Sounds like a cool title, right? Yes, right. But there's actually a pretty cool biblical, practical definition as to why we refer to the church being unstoppable. About 2,000 years ago when the church began, there was uh, Peter and the apostles. They believed in Jesus, and they just started sharing their lives together with other people. And there was this, uh, these religious Pharisees, this, this high council uh, group of people, the rule followers, that wanted the apostles and Peter killed because they were preaching the message of Jesus, that he is the one that was foretold and he had come, they killed him on a cross and then he rose again and it is only through him, salvation in Jesus Christ alone, that we're saved. So this guy named Gamaliel um, said, you know what, just hang on, let's just chill for a second. Before we kill these guys, send them outside. I just want to remind you guys, and he's speaking to the rest of the high council. Remember about 400 years ago or, or a few years ago, there was this guy named Theodos. There was a movement that he started. He got some followers. There was like 400 of them, and then he died. And not long after, his followers scattered and went their own way. And then there's this other uh, uh, guy that started up his own kind of crew, and he was rolling pretty good for a little while, but then he died. And then all of his followers went their own way. And then after reminding them of this, in Acts 5, Gamaliel says this, My advice is this, leave these men alone, let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. You see, the church is unstoppable because it's from God. We're an expression of what happened two years ago. So it's proof that this is from God because otherwise the leader was killed and then these people just went their own way. The only reason we're sitting here today in these nice comfy seats and gray carpet instead of green is because the church continued because it is from God. Now, it, we've maybe complicated things a little bit over the years, but what happened 2,000 years ago when the church first started, the early church, it was simply that they heard the good news of Jesus. Some of them met Jesus and walked with Jesus before he was crucified, and others just heard the story of Jesus that he came. 
And through that, they believed in him. They believed he was the Messiah. They were water baptized and they were added to the church. And it's very simple what happened. What, what did they do? Well, in Acts chapter 2, it gives us a very clear example of what this house-to-house -house church looks like. It says, all the believers, say all the believers. That's pretty good. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals together with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Apostles' teaching, scripture, Bible, okay? What's the second one? Fellowship, communion, meals, and prayer. Huh, what, a, what an interesting concept. Sounds a little bit like maybe a groups at our church. What a great idea straight from scripture about what we should be doing. Why, why, why are we complicated? I don't know, ask your pastor. It's ryan at lovecitychurch.ca. <laughs> not dot com. I'll tell you, there's something very special, and there's a reason why God, God designed it so that we do life together in community when we're being vulnerable with one another. You see, God wants us to grow spiritually. There's salvation in a moment, but then there's a process of sanctification where we're, we're working out what it means to be a follower of God, that it's a never-ending process that continues throughout our lives. A few years ago, when the church first started, there was a group of uh, eight or nine guys that would meet, like, I guess, one of our first small groups for the guys, and we would get, to have her, get together and have breakfast. Am I completely dark here? Or? All right, well, I'll just keep, I'll, I'll keep talking while we pray for the light. Um, and we would, we would gather every week early in the morning at Phil's on uh, Glenmore and Elbow and have breakfast together and read the scriptures and encourage one another. And it was, it was great uh, until a couple of the guys decided to ruin everything for me and they started sharing about parts of their life that normally we keep secret. We keep tucked away, not exposed and we don't bring out into the open. And these guys started to share about how they struggled deeply with pornography and alcohol and purity in their marriage. And all I could do was put on my serious face and look at them and just nod. That's my serious face. And to kind of just agree, but not have to say anything. You see, outside... I was a Christian. Outside, I went to church. But inside, I was deeply addicted. I was very far from God. And here these guys were, sharing their stuff. And you know what I thought? It's 6.14 in the morning, staring down at the table as they shared and confessed openly their sins. You know what popped into my head? Phil's has four kinds of syrup right there on the table. There's blueberry, raspberry, maple, and butter. It was, I was blown away. No, you know what I thought? I said, you know what? These guys, they're not any different than me. The only difference is that they're exposing these areas of their lives so that they can find 
healing. They don't want to stay where they are. They're bringing it out in the open so that it'll be exposed so that they can grow from it. And I didn't have the guts to do what they were doing. John 3.19 says, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see they are doing what God wants. There's two things I want to highlight here. I was afraid of my sins being exposed. I was afraid with the shame and the guilt that was attached to telling people about the things that you struggled with. But notice in scripture what happens is that those who do what is right come to the light so others can see they are doing what God wants. When these guys shared, I realized they were doing what God wanted from them. They were exposing these parts of their lives and living in right relationship with God because they were turning from their sin. And you see what happens when you expose these areas of your, of your life. You cut the enemy off at the knees. You, you steal what he ultimately tries to use against you. As the song goes, you take what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good. When you just start speaking openly to others about areas that you struggle with, he's left defenseless. He's left powerless. Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. You're no longer a slave to your sin. There is no longer bondage over your life because he is the chain breaker and the way maker. Hallelujah. I love that song. Now there's freedom in my life. Now there's peace. You see, that started for me uh, a chain reaction in my life where now I got more in community and I started exposing areas of my life and sharing my struggles with others who I knew that they were living lives that please God. They were not perfect, but they were repentant. And when they screwed up, they, they apologized and they tried to move forward, not just because of man, but because they wanted to please God. You see, the enemy wants you to isolate. The enemy doesn't want you to do life with other people. You should not isolate unless you have a tickle in your throat. Then it's, it's allowed for 10 days or whatever the regulation is. You see, you get lots of people that said, see, I don't need church, man, like religion. No, no, my dad was part of a church and this thing happened and that thing happened. Or, you know, my sister went there. My friend said this and they just want your money, man. No, no, no. Like, I'm a spiritual person. I like to go to the mountains, and there's a, a tree there. It's the tallest of all the trees, and I look out. That's where I meet God. That's where, that's my church, man. And that's cool, bro, talking to this guy. That's cool, but actually, it's not a biblical definition of what church is. You see, church is the people called out and called together, not just going on a spiritual experience by your own. Are you with me today? Am I, is this making sense to you? So the, the enemy, the devil, wants us isolated. He wants us apart from each other. But it's not God's design to go it alone. You ever realize if you ever have a, an encounter with God, maybe at a youth camp or like a powerful, you know, evening church service or just some random run-in, and, and you're, you're hearing the gospel, you're hearing the good news, and you feel something inside of you that's like, oh, man, maybe, huh, 
Maybe God does exist. And you, you, you realize that, man, maybe I, I could change my life, and I, I could be free from this addiction. I, I, I can have a better life, and may, I think I believe in God. And, and, you, and you just say, yeah, it's going to be so great. And then, you know, two to three weeks later, after you come home from the youth camp or the experience, and then you're back doing what you were three weeks ago, and maybe even farther down the path of separation from God and loneliness, and you realize, what the heck happened? Well, maybe, just a thought, don't get upset, but what if we don't have that accountability when we try and do it alone, and so it eventually just kind of fizzles out because we think that we can do it all by ourselves. And again, that's not what God designed us to do. God designed us to get up, you know, right beside people. You see, you got to get within six feet of somebody to have life change, virtually six feet. If you want breakthrough in your life, here's a great um, strategy straight from Scripture in James 5.16. It says, make this your common practice. I'll interpret. That means do it lots. <laughs> Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. You see, God doesn't convict you in your life to just leave you there. He didn't you know, wag his finger at me at Phil's breakfast place that morning and say, ha, look at you, how terrible. And I can't believe you're going to eat those pancakes. No, no, no. He, he convicts, but he's also the comforter. You see, he doesn't leave you where he found you, where you're, wherever you're at today. It's not like he just wants you to stay in the mud. He's come to call you up out of the mud to give you life, life abundantly here and now. The Bible says, that in this world we will have troubles, but to fear not, for Jesus has overcome the world. The point is this, when we do life together in a group, part of doing life together is that there's freedom and we live together whole and healed. All right. Yeah, come on, that's so good. I love that. Yeah, you can give him a clap. Come on, let's give him a clap. Oh, well stop, done. Stop, I don't know how I'm going to follow that now. That was really good. Um, got your water? Yeah. Stay hydrated. Yeah. Come on. Got your back. I got your back. All right. So I think that's really, really cool how, and Andrew's story, how he was saying that it was the moment that he began to open up and realize that these guys weren't living defined by their shame or defined by their sin that enabled him to, to open up and to begin to experience healing and forgiveness in his life because um, one of my favorite authors that a friend of mine introduced me to, his name is Bob Goff. Come on. I like that. All of the enthusiasm. Oh, is that there? That's okay. But he says this. Um, he says that God doesn't just give us his promises, but he gives us each other. So good. Come on. Right? And I think that's so interesting is that God doesn't just give us this promise of forgiveness and, and healing and transformation in his life or in our lives, but he gives us each other so that we can actually begin to walk in that together and we can begin to apply the reality of salvation in our life. And alone, we're going to be left somewhere. Alone, we're going to be left. If Andrew hadn't gone to that, to that breakfast and started opening up, he would have been left in his sin and in his shame isolated and alone with no way forward but together we can be taken somewhere together we can be taken further into relationship with God and that's what it's about and that's what 
the early church practiced. They didn't just practice getting together to have fun, which I'm sure they did have fun, hoot and half, um, because it's good to have fun together. But they got together and they were vulnerable and open so that they could walk closer to Jesus together. They could be taken further into the promises of God in their lives. And I like this story that the Bible shares um, in Mark chapter 2. It's the story about the paralyzed man. And so a little bit of backstory. There's this guy who's paralyzed. And in Israel, when you're paralyzed, you're left alone because it's a burden for your family to take care of you because you can't provide for yourself. And especially, I feel like if you're a man, because it was such a hot, like male kind of based society back then, that if you're a man and you couldn't provide for yourself or your family, you were just kind of like left alone and isolated and, and put aside. And so here we meet this man in this story who's paralyzed. He's living on his mat on the corner of, this, of, of the street, same place, he can't go anywhere, and he's just begging for people for money or for food, you know, trying to trade people. Hey, I got this quarter from this guy a couple hours ago. Will, will you give me a little bit of food for this quarter? And so this was the, this reality of this guy's life. He was going day in and day out with nowhere forward, trying to get a little bit of compassion from somebody, but doing life alone doing life isolated, defined by this little mat that showed the world that he was broken, that he was weak, that he was wounded. And so it's in this story that, that he had something else that I feel like a lot of other paralyzed people or sick people in that they didn't have. He had a community. The Bible says that four of his friends came up to him one day and they're like, I'm going to call the paralyzed man Gerald because the Bible doesn't give him a name, so I'm going to call him Gerald. So they come up to Gerald. you got to make it personal, right? Anybody know a Gerald? Come on. A Jerry? Come on. Got to make it personal. Okay, so they come up to their good friend Jerry, we'll say, and so they come up to him and they're like, hey, hey, Jer, Jer Bear, you know, like, we, we heard kind of murmurings around the street that there's this guy who's coming or who's in town, and his name is Jesus. And, and people have been kind of talking that he, he's saying some really cool things, but people are being healed by this guy. Like, come on, like, don't you think, like, you want to come and, like, check it out, you know, see? But I'm sure there was a little bit of back and forth in this interaction where, where Jerry's probably like, no, you guys, I'm on my mat. Like, can't you see? I'm on my mat. This is my life. Like, you don't have to try to, like, throw it in my face that I can't walk and I can't do anything, that I'm wounded and broken. I'm sure there was a little bit of back and forth, but his friends ended up convincing him to go and check out this, this Jesus guy, to see who he was. So the story goes that his four friends each picked up a corner of the mat, which is cool because they didn't just pick up their friend, but they picked up the very mat, him on the mat that defined him as wounded, as broken. So they pick him up on the, each four corners of the mat, and they start carrying him around town, and they get to this place, where this house where Jesus was speaking to the people, but they encountered another issue, another problem, was that there was tons of people there. There was no way that they could get good old Jer Bear through this crowd of people when they're, all the people are just like shoving up against each other, trying to get as close as they can to hear about Jesus, to hear what he's saying, to maybe try to push their way through the crowd so they could get a touch from Jesus too and perhaps maybe be healed and to see if all the rumors were true. So I can imagine that Jerry probably is at this point, the paralyzed man is like, guys, like, thanks for trying, but like, I'm wounded and I'm broken and no, can you just take me back to my corner, my street corner, so I can just keep on doing life as I normally do? 
But I imagine it this way, that, that his friends probably just all looked at each other, nodded, and they took him. He can't go anywhere. He, he can't, you know, he can't really fight against it. So they picked up his mat again. They walked around the crowd through the back of the house. I don't know, maybe they went through the neighboring house, but somehow they got this paralyzed friend up onto the roof. Then they cut a hole in the roof and lowered their friend at the feet of Jesus. Jerry would have given up on his own, but in community, he ended up at the very place that he needed to for this to happen. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he got up, good old Jer Bear got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. His friends took him to the place where he could go and receive forgiveness and healing. Alone, we're going to be left somewhere. Alone, this paralyzed man would have been left on his mat, defined by the brokenness and the woundedness day in and day out, with nowhere to go. But together, they took him to Jesus. And the key to this verse um, is that Jesus saw their faith. It's plural. It wasn't just the faith of the paralyzed man, which I'm sure he probably doubted. You know, like, I've been living this way for X amount of years or my whole life. I'm sure you would have doubted, but it was their faith, plural. It was the faith of his friends that brought forgiveness and healing in his life. And so this is the point of community. In doing life together, we're brought to Jesus. We can bring each other to Jesus to have an encounter with him, to be forgiven and healed, and to be taken into the promises that God has for our lives. Let's check out real quick in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 10. It says, two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Alone, we're left defined by our mistakes. Alone, we're left defined by our brokenness and by our woundedness by our sins, but together we can go beyond our mistakes. Together we can lift each other up and keep going. We can lift each other up and take each other to the feet of Jesus so we can experience healing and forgiveness. Ecclesiastes 4.12, just a little bit later, says this, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So when hard things and hard situations come in our life, just like Andrew said, God doesn't promise life to be easy. Life is going to be hard, and there are going to be situations in our life that are going to, if it may feel like we're being attacked, like it's just like struggle after struggle after struggle, or it may put some tension on our lives alone, we're left overpowered and defeated. Alone, we can be broken. But together, it says that we can defend ourselves. Together, we can put ourselves and each other in a position of defense where no matter what life comes at us, we're like ninjas. Can block it, block it out. Doesn't even affect us. You know, we can defend ourselves together. But when you're in community, when you have multiple people around you, it says you're a cord that cannot easily be broken. Together, we can have strength and victory. Left alone, we're left crushed, wounded, and abandoned. But together, we're taken into strength and into victory. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, last little point here says this. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful or unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, 
as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Alone, when we sin and we keep it to ourselves and we choose to deal with it alone, we're left in this place where the lies of the enemy and, and the kind of doubt, starting to doubt God's goodness can start to control our lives, can start to impact our relationship with Jesus and how we see who God is. Alone, we're left guilty and defined by our shame, and we're easily tricked to doubt God and forget his goodness. But together, it says, encourage one another daily. And I think this is so key, is that a lot of people think that it's the one week, once a week encouragement, like, woo, I got my Jesus moment, I'm good for the rest of the week, but then Tuesday roll around, and the struggles start coming, and then you're like, wow, is what I felt on Sunday real? Is the God I heard about on Sunday real? Like you kind of, like it can kind of leave you starting to second guess God's goodness. But together, when we encourage each other daily, as long as it is called today, so today is today, tomorrow is going to be today, the next day is going to be today, it's this constant reality of encouraging each other once, like over and over and over again, and reminding each other of the truth of God's goodness and the love that he has for us. We can be brought closer together. We're brought closer to the truth of who God is and who we are because of Jesus. And so this is the point of community, of doing life together. This is what made the church unstoppable, is they didn't walk into each other's lives and point a blaming finger at each other. Just like the, the friends in, in the paralyzed man story, they didn't walk up to him and say like, dude, you're broken. Like, I don't know what you did to get there, but you might deserve it. They didn't point that type of finger at each other, but instead they chose to encourage each other and they chose to see the potential of where they could be in Jesus. And so this type of community that the early church had that made them unstoppable, they were committed to doing life together. They were committed to opening up their hearts, to letting people see and hear the brokenness that they were experiencing so that they could lift each other up so that they can strengthen one another, so that they can encourage one another and be taken closer to Jesus, in closer relationship with Jesus. So now our mistakes and our doubts and our sins don't define us, but the goodness and love of God defines us. And so that's the key to an unstoppable community. It's not just being open and authentic, because I'm sure you've all had friendships where you may kind of pour out, pour out your guts to each other, but it doesn't really go anywhere from there. You just kind of, it just kind of sits there. You're like, Bleh! and then it's just there. But they were able to be open and authentic and unstoppable because they believed wholeheartedly in this truth. In John chapter 3, 16 and 17, it says that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then it says that God sent his son into the world not to judge or condemn the world, not to point that shameful finger, but to save the world through him. So now their openness and their vulnerability wasn't just to get it out, but it was actually for it to be transformed. They knew that because of the cross of Jesus, they weren't defined by their sin because they believed that Jesus was the son of God who died on the cross, was buried for three days and miraculously rose again, which nobody saw coming. Not even the, his disciples who lived with him, nobody saw that coming. But they believed in this truth, and that enabled them to understand and to receive the truth that their sin, their mats that define them as broken, 
as wounded, as addicted, as shamed, no longer define them, but the salvation of the cross of Jesus Christ defined them. And that's what enabled them to be unstoppable together and to open up and to encourage and lift each other up. It's not because they wanted to. I'm sure they didn't. It's because that they knew that when they took that step and were vulnerable with one another, they'd experience Jesus that much more. They'd be able to know and understand the truth of forgiveness and salvation that, that Jesus had told them about and that Jesus had died on the cross for them for. And so I want you guys to know that this can be a reality in your life too. That God doesn't want you to do life alone. God doesn't want you to stay on your mat, defined by your brokenness and your woundedness and your shame. But God wants you to know today that he saved you. He doesn't see you with a pointing, wagging finger saying, oh, you messed up. Oh, you're struggling. Sorry, you deserve to be broken. He doesn't point that type of finger at you. He points a finger of salvation at you and a heart of love to you and a face that sees you with kindness and gentleness and goodness so that you can be transformed, you can be healed, you can be made whole and forgiven. But alone, we're gonna be left in that place of brokenness. We'll have that mountaintop experience and then the valley's gonna come and we'll think, where was the mountaintop? But together, we can be in the valleys knowing who God is, knowing that God loves us and knowing the truth of who we are because together, we can encourage one another. Together we can lift each other up. Together we can strengthen each other to be ready to face the struggles of life, knowing that our God has come to save us, that we have an eternal hope, an eternal life with Jesus waiting for us. So come on, I want to encourage you guys. You can feel free to close your eyes. If you're here today and you feel like you've been in that place living defined by your brokenness, that you feel like you're the man on the mat right now, and you're wondering, where's my community? Where's my salvation? and you want to experience right now the, the salvation that Jesus paid for on the cross, you can do that just so simply, just by believing in your heart that Jesus, Son of God, walked the earth, died on the cross, rose again three days later to save you, to transform you, to heal you. And just by saying it out loud, that you believe that Jesus saves you and that he is Lord. So you guys can do that whenever on your own time. Maybe it's later you're thinking about this or maybe it's now underneath your breath. I think that's awesome. But I'm just going to pray for you guys. I want you to know that even if you're a Christian that have felt like you've kind of lost your way and you're kind of like, where's God in my life? I heard that he's real, but where is he? I want to encourage you that you don't have to do life alone. You don't have to get back to that mountaintop alone. But God has given us each other, not just his promise, but each other. So God, I pray for every single person here today, Lord God, wherever they're at in their journey, I pray, Lord, that they will just be confident in knowing that they don't have to do life alone. They can do life together knowing that they're not defined. None of us are defined by our sin and our mistakes and our shame and our guilt and our addictions and our bad attitudes and our bad days, but we're defined by the moment that you died and rose again for our sins. We're defined by the love of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we can be whole and healed. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we love you and we worship you today, Lord Jesus. In your name, I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.